Thank you. Praise God. Thank you very, very much. Amen. What? I enjoyed that music, and we are going to lift up the name of Jesus this week. Praise God. I am very, very grateful to be here and uh, glad able to be here for the second time this year and be able to preach the Word of God. I so appreciate Pastor Nigel and Carol Brown, longtime uh, friends of ours, a uh, blessing to my life, and to be able to come and preach to you. We are going to believe that God is going to help us. Thank God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. The story's told a mother heard her little boy crying. When she came into the room, she saw that he had put his hand into a vase, and now his hand was stuck in the vase. She tried to help, tried pulling uh, the vase off his hand, but he cried out in pain. His hand was absolutely stuck. She got the boy's father. He said we could break the vase to get his hand out, but the vase actually is antique, very, very valuable, and who knows, it might actually cut the boy's hand. So he said, let's try one more time before we break the vase. He said, now, I want you to open your hand on the inside, straighten your fingers, and pull it out like I'm showing you, and, uh, and then we'll try to pull it off. And the boy said, but dad, if I do that, I'll lose my penny. So he was unwilling to let go. The text that we're going to read, God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him on the altar. And our scripture tells us it was a test. But the future, his future, and the future of the work of God depended on this test. It's the same test that all of us have to face this week in conference. You have to pass this test, and the test is holding back or letting go. And that's what I want to preach uh, on in the first night of this great conference, Genesis 22, 1 through 3, holding back or letting go. We'll start, and I'm going to skip through the chapter here, the story Starting at verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him. Skip into verse 12. He said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. 
in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Holding back or letting go. Let's look first of all at holding back. Our text shows us something about having relationship with God. Serving God involves requests. God will ask us things. He asks for regular obedience, prayer, reading the Bible, coming to the church, tithing, evangelism. If you love God, if you value him, you will want to do those things always. That's not seasonal. It's not when you feel like it. God wants regular obedience. But he also asks for extraordinary obedience. There are things that are not everyday. They may be rare, uh, but uh, they're not the usual or the regular request. Verse 2, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. This was not every day. This was shocking. God can ask extraordinary things of us. That might be offerings. God may ask amounts. He speaks. It's not my job. It's not the job of the person taking the offering to tell you how much to give. Because God may ask you much more than the person may even suggest. There are times when you say, get behind me, Satan. That's clearly from hell. But it's not. It's God. It's out of the ordinary. It can be planting someone out. Listen, a conference is for planting churches. There are pastors here. God is going to deal with you. He wants you to plant someone. You would really rather keep them. But God has the right. It can be a change in ministry. Some of you are already in the ministry, but God may speak to you that he wants you to leave that and pioneer. He may want you to go overseas. Those are extraordinary. They're, they're not the usual, but God has that right. God asks for obedience in calling, life purpose. What are you supposed to do with your life? Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. For some of you this week, you are going to hear the voice of God. God wants to change the direction of your life. He wants you to preach the gospel. There are others, God is going to speak to you that he wants you to be a missionary. He wants you to go overseas. All of these are a part of relationship with God God makes requests. The requests God asks of us have purposes, several purposes. Verse 12, now I know that you fear God. Whatever God asks you, it may further the purposes of God. God had planned for his purposes to flow through Abraham. And so when he obeys, that means the purposes of God are, are, are furthered. Sometimes what God asks of us, it may be that it helps someone else and not us. Ananias in Acts 9, God told him, I want you to go and pray for a man named Saul that, that uh, his blind eyes will be opened. 
it was for Saul's benefit, not his. God may ask you to pray for someone that's sick and they get healed. It's for them. Finances, it may be that other people will be blessed by our finances. Encouragement and salvation. All of that is possible, but our text shows us sometimes the request can simply be a test. Verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You know what the great question in life is? From the beginning of time of human beings, it's a very simple question. Who is God? Are you God or is he God? Now, you say, ah, that's, that's silly. Of course I'm not God. You know how we tell whether or not you think you're God? What do you do when God asks something of you? If you don't obey, that means you're God of your life. If God says give and you say no, that means you're God. Plant them out, no, then you're God. Go overseas, preach the God, whatever it is, if you don't obey, that is the simplest test Adam and Eve, isn't this the, the lie was you could be as gods. When you obey, you are telling God, I believe that you are God and I am not. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, we don't want to obey. Some people, they refuse to obey altogether, like Jonah. Go to Nineveh, and the Bible said, he said, absolutely not. He went and ran the other direction. I, it kind of makes sense. He was wanting him to go to Nineveh, which is the middle of the desert in Iraq. He wanted to go to Tarshish. That's the seacoast of Spain. I get that, <laughs> right? Where would you rather be? But he is saying no. Some people do that. In every church, we have disciple. There are people that God is touching you, telling you he wants you to preach, but you are running from your calling. My current concert director, he said for years, he never went to prayer meeting because he said, I knew as soon as I started praying, God was gonna call me. We have return pastors. From time to time, we send workers out. It doesn't always go well. That's life. We factor that in. To us, that's a step in your ultimate destiny. But I have seen return pastors. They come back, and as soon as there is any challenge about preaching and calling, they are going, la, 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 I can't hear you. No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself in that position. Planting, there are pastors. God is speaking to you. You need to plant a church this week. There are pastors here, you're going, but they're not ready just yet. Oh, like you were. (laughs) You were just a model of preparedness, weren't you? You somehow made it into the ministry, but now it's like, I'm going to, but they're just not quite ready just yet. Going overseas, there are some people, absolutely not, I will never go overseas, I'll never be a missionary. 
So some people just say no altogether, but our text gives another option. Our text uses the word withhold. Holding back. Because this is a, a, a very common temptation. Holding back. For some people, that means I will obey part way. But I'm holding back from full obedience. God told a man named Joash through the prophet Elisha, shoot arrows as a sign of your faith for deliverance. He only shot three arrows. The quiver was full. In other words, he had arrows in reserve. He was holding back. This is what many people do in serving God. They try to bargain with God. It's the same thing they do when they're trying to buy an object, an item, a car or something. They're, they're trying to bargain and beat the person down. I know that's what you ask for, but I'm not willing to pay that. That's how we treat Almighty God. Here God says something, and we say, oh, okay, God, look, I'll do this, but I will not do that. I'll go here, but I will not go there. I will minister to these people, but those people know, and we think it's okay because we're doing something, but we're holding back. It was T.S. Eliot, he said that, Many people, they measure out their life in coffee spoons, meaning a spoonful here and a spoonful there. This is what believers do is we, we feel righteous because we're doing something. God said, give this amount. And we said, no, but we spoon out something. We say, well, I am giving, but you're not doing what God said. Withholding has to do with retaining our dreams. Think about what God was asking here. Isaac uh, uh, was uh, the promised child. Here Abraham was a hundred years old by the time he finally had this child. They waited for years. Now they have a son. No doubt they're waiting for the golden years with grandchildren. And now God says, sacrifice Isaac? Are you kidding me? Isaac is our, we dreamed of that boy. For how many decades did we dream? And now you're asking me, you're asking us to sacrifice our dream? What is it in your life that you say to people, I always wanted to, because that probably is a good, good chance that that is your Isaac. For some of you, it's your ministry, isn't it? I have this church. After I struggled for so long, it's doing so well. And God is dealing with you to do something else, and you're saying, but... This is what I've always wanted. That's your Isaac. God has the right to ask us to change our plans in life. The clear call, lay down your Isaac. There is nothing in life. There is no person. There is no job. There is no plan. There is no dream. There is no ministry that ever takes the place of God. 
It must never be higher than God. The Bible says it's a test. Are you going to withhold? All the while saying, I'm doing something. You're retaining your dreams. We want to retain control over. I want to determine what happens to Isaac. This is true many times in the area of money. You know something? When you give money, it's gone. Uh, that's profound, is it? Write it down. I give, it's gone. <laughs> so the temptation is, why don't I just hold back because I want to be able to retain power. If I give and it's gone, that means I, I was going to buy something. How many of you ever had that? I've, I've had it happen in my life. Saving for something, God there, and God speaks and says, but I want you to give that but I'm saving for some. That's right. So are you going to retain control? Acts 5, 1 and 2, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold land. They kept back part of the money for himself. His wife knew about this and agreed to it. They brought the rest of the money and gave it to the apostles. I'll give something, but I want to retain power over. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who withholds more than is right or what he should give. It's the same word that God is saying, withhold. Here's the issue. When you withhold, you stop God's work in your life. You stop God's power on your behalf. If you read a few more verses than where we stop, there was a miracle waiting in the bushes. But if he withheld, he was never going to see that miracle. In fact, not only does it stop, there are people, I, I've never seen miracles like that. Is it possible that you're not doing what God says? Because withholding stops what God wants to do, and it's actually dangerous to withhold. Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save his life shall Lose it. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says they withheld from full obedience that God apparently had dealt with them. That radical story, they died. Something died. Radical pictures in the Bible are making a point for us. Something dies inside every time you say no. I want to hold back, Mark 4, 25. Whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Has means use what you already possess. I know personally of a number of leaders in our fellowship that God dealt with them. They had a successful church, a successful ministry, God dealt with him. I knew a man, God told him to go overseas. Others, God dealt with them to pioneer in different cities, and they all said no. One of them I knew from the time he said no, his spiritual life, his ministry declined from that moment. 
because God is not trying to rob you by asking. He's trying to bless and increase and protect you. So some people withhold. Let's talk about letting go. The opposite of withholding is letting go. Verse 16, because you have not withheld your son. You didn't hold back. You let him go. Letting go means doing what God says. John 2, 5, whatever he tells you to do, do it. What is it that God has already been telling you to do? Is that calling? Is it to preach the gospel? I resisted the idea of preaching. I always said, I will never preach. Is that what you're doing? Is it calling? Is it going overseas? Risking? Changing by going overseas? Is it planting a church this week? Is it changing your plans, your dreams, your career path, whatever it might be? Doing all that God says. It's not just some. Withholding, see, either says no or some. Letting go means doing all that God says. Abraham put his son on the altar and raised the knife. What an incredible story. He, he wasn't going to, you know, prick his finger. This is everything. The feeding of the multitudes. A boy put his full lunch, all of it, in Jesus' hands. The alabaster bar, uh, jar, this woman broke it and poured it on Jesus' head. There was nothing left. See, the Bible uses radical pictures putting your son on the altar to sacrifice him? God's not going to ask you to sacrifice literally in that way. He's making a radical point. It's a spiritual example. What God wants, he wants your time. He wants your plans, your dreams, your money. And he wants us to lay it on the altar. That's what has to happen in the opening service. What is God going to do this week? That depends on whether you hold back or whether you lay it on the altar and let go. You see, it wasn't actually about his son on the altar. The real issue was Abraham's will. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of not withholding but letting go. I am willing. I don't want to go to the cross, but I am willing. He laid his life on the altar for you and I. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when God asks for your money, it's not just about money, it's your will. Some of you, 
you are hurting your ministry, you're hurting your salvation because your heart is filled with anger and bitterness. And God says, forgive. But they, I don't care, forgive. It's not about the offense or make it, it's your will. When God tells you, pray for someone that's sick, I, I don't know, I'm nervous. It's your will. Think about Isaac. You know, we have this picture, they even have, you know, paintings, representations of, of this as though he took his little boy, picked him up in his arm. Isaac was 30 years old. You know what that tells me? <laughs> we're going and we're going to sacrifice and uh, where is the sacrifice? That's the question he asked. The Lord will provide and then apparently doesn't let us in on the conversation. He said, actually the sacrifice is you. Oh, that's easy for you to say, Dad. <laughs> You're the one holding the knife. Think about this. Isaac was willing to go all the way. That's why God says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. Because God is the God of any person who is willing to go all the way. Not withholding. God, I let go. Robert Moffat was saved in Scotland as a boy. In his church, they had a missions meeting. They were focusing on raising money for world evangelism. The offering basket came to Robert Moffat. He took the basket, set it on the floor, and he stood inside of it. He said, I have nothing to give God but myself. Robert Moffat became a missionary to South Africa. His, his example stirred thousands of people to give, to send, and to go to the mission field. That, that is a, a powerful picture. That is exactly what God wants. The offering is simply a representation of you. That's really what we're doing in the offering. God, you can have me. How do I know? I'm willing to give you money. Others, it's time. I'm willing to change my plans. What God wants this week, we have to let go in order for him to work his full will in and through our lives. And the key to letting go is timing. It's rare. I rarely meet people who you say, this is what God wants you to do. They're absolutely not. That's not what we do. You know what we often say is, absolutely, Pastor, I agree 100%, and I will do that later. Later sounds so much nicer, doesn't it? That's it. When are you going to do that? Later. Oh, that was nice. Later is just another way of saying no. Luke 9, I, I, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. First, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus says no. Why? That's, they, didn't, they didn't refuse. They just said later. But Jesus understood something. Most people, when they say later, when they delay, they'll never do it. I pastor the oldest church in our fellowship. I 
has to deal with people who are now in their 60s, their 70s, who say, I regret God told me when I was young to preach the gospel, and I said later, and they've never done it. The rich young ruler went away and was never heard from again. See, letting go needs to be done now. Verse one, now it came to pass. In verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't delay. I like that. He rose early. God spoke. Let's get on with it. Let's go do what God said. The time to do what God has been telling you to do is this conference. I'm, I'm not preaching so you'll obey next conference. The time to obey is tonight. You need to make up your mind tonight. Yes, God, I'm going to put my will, my plans, my dreams, my finances, my will, I'm going to put it on the altar tonight. That is going to determine what kind of conference we have. Because God can only move through surrendered hearts and lives. Let's look finally at the impact of release. Our text shows us something. Some people have strange ideas about God. There are people that they get nervous every time they get a few, a bit of money in the bank. They go, I know what's going to happen. I'm, I know God's getting, that God's in heaven going, <laughs> oh yes, you thought you were going to buy something. No. Listen, God doesn't ask things of you because he's wanting to rob you. He's wanting to release powerful things. Verse 16, by myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen, you do not have to be the most educated. You just have to be obedient. You don't have to be the most intelligent. You just have to be obedient. You don't have to be the most talented. You just have to be obedient. Look at this. You enter a dimension of blessing when you let go. Verse 17, blessing, I will bless you. This is talking about something supernatural. What you need in your life, in your salvation, in your family, in your finances, in your ministry, you need something that you don't possess. You need a miracle dimension. This, of course, is a supernatural financial blessing because of obedience. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There is... God causes things to happen supernaturally. Blessing. I will bless you if you will let go. You enter a dimension of fruitfulness. Verse 17, I'm multiplying, I'll multiply your descendants as the star of the as the heaven of the heavens and the sand on the seashore. Listen, God blesses what belongs to him. 
you hold on to ownership, God doesn't bless. What belongs to God, he blesses. What you do now, this is fruitfulness. Some of you this week, you, what you desperately need personally, what your church, you're crying out for is God, fruitfulness. We need not people who attend. That's not fruitfulness. I need people to be converted. I pray like this, God, I want you to save people that they are convicted of their sin, that they fall in love with Jesus, that they make stands and win their family and friends. They get involved in ministry and surrender to the call. That's who I want to get saved. I don't need people to come. I used to go to the charismatic palace of the eternal king, and now I'll come to the potter's house because you're another... No, 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 no. I need people to be radically converted. Multiplying, I will multiply. God can give you fruit. You enter a dimension of dominion. Verse 17, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Gates were where battle plans of your enemies were formed. And God says, you will possess, you will overcome the strategies of hell. See, when we surrender to God, there's protection against enemy attacks. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Dominion is practical. It's enforcing God's rule in a local area. Some of you right now, the problem is you don't rule. You're witnessing, but you don't rule. That's why, like, people come, but they don't get it because you don't rule. They get saved, and then somebody takes them to another church because you don't rule. Dominion, you're gonna, you are gonna possess the gates. You determine what happens here. Devil, no longer are you gonna rule and keep people bound in sin and false religion and perversion. They're gonna be set free. Dominion comes when we surrender and let go. And finally, you enter a dimension of worldwide impact. Verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is an incredible thing. God allows us to impact nations. What we have in our fellowship is incredible. You in a local church, you support that work, you give offerings for world evangelism, you invest in conference, your life touches nations. It's, it's the most incredible thing. God lets ordinary people like us touch nations. But that comes to people who let go. I close to this. Pastor Mark Olson, he told me that he went to the Philippines five times to preach crusades, conferences, various kinds of meetings. And he said, honestly, Greg, he said, I didn't want to go to the Philippines. I didn't mind going there to preach, but I didn't want to go there. God began to deal with him. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to go overseas. So he said, yes, God, I will be a missionary and I want to go to New Zealand. Zealand, Philippines, they're not the same. Could not get a visa. The door was shut. 
1985, Pastor Mark Olson, he is of Irish descent, so he went to Dublin, Ireland, and I, yes, I'm willing to go to Ireland. That's where I want to go. But in January of 1986, Pastor Mitchell was preaching, and he made a, a call. He spoke about Davao in the Philippines, and he said, what's happening right, there, right now in Davao, there was a communist insurgency. They were fighting to take over and make the Philippines communist. The CIA, American CIA, estimates that we only have three years before it falls to communism. That's what Pastor Mitchell said. So he made a call. We have to do something now. Who this week is willing to go to Davao in the Philippines. Remember what we said in the beginning? I do not want to go to the Philippines. He's wondering who is going to go. <laughs> but he came to the altar that night and he's thinking about who could go and he already was planning on going to Dublin and he said, God, is it me? Am I supposed to go to the Philippines? And he said, God spoke to him, why not you? And so he went to Pastor Mitchell and he said, we are willing to go to Davao. Listen, the reason why he didn't want to go, he wanted to go to New Zealand or Dublin. Davao was incredibly dangerous. With the communist insurgency, there was an average the communists were killing an average of six people a day. They would find the bodies. Most of them would be decapitated. They'd cut their heads off. They're finding them. And that's the place that God was telling him to go. But Mark and Michelle Olson said, we are willing. And they went to Davao and pioneered. From the moment they landed, the taxi driver who took them from the airport to where they were going to stay. Mark Olson witnessed to him. He got saved. He's in the church to this day. Immediately, there was a dimension. Yes. But, but think about this. Built a powerful work, nationalized it, turned it over to uh, a Filipino. Now, from that one church that they were willing to go to in 1986, from Davao and their baby churches, there are 306 churches in the Philippines alone, plus they have workers in four other nations. Praise God. Oh, thank God. I wonder if tonight in this conference there are other Davao's. Probably not in the Philippines. Could there be powerful works of God that are waiting? Remember, there was a miracle waiting in the bushes. What is waiting for you? And what is going to determine whether you ever experience that incredible dimension of blessing in the plans and the power of God is going to be determined by whether you hold back or you let go. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes all across this place.